There we go. And I'm turning that down, and we're okay. How are we on your end? Just going through my uh, my spam. Uh, confirm your Amazon account. Click here to verify your Amazon account info. <laughs> uh, China Steel Corporation is an urgent need of a reputable company, firm, or individual to serve as our financial coordinator in North America. You know what I found strange about my spam? is the evolution of my spam. When I was in my 20s, all my spam was hot chicks now. In my 30s, it was all discount mortgages. And I don't know what this says, but in my 40s, I'm now getting nothing but Viagra spam. <laughs> I get Cialis spam. Oh, really? You get the off-brand stuff. If you go to my website, um, if you go to my website, I'm clearing uh, an incredible amount of spam, but the one I see the most is buy Cialis, buy Cialis, buy Cialis, buy Cialis, buy Cialis. That's the message. What I don't understand is when they try to trick you into opening the email messages as though that's actually going to entice you to spend money with a company that rooked you into opening their spam. Hello, I attached a copy of the payment slip I made to your account two weeks ago. Please check the attachment to see if the payment got to your account. Dr. Mary Smith, and it's a zip file. No. Yes. Uh, oh, I've won $300,000 from the Euro Million Lateria Espana. The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and not necessarily the views of their employers or a Nigerian prince. <laughs> From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. What's a U2 and why is it on my iPhone? Apple tells the kids today how to uninstall the free album from the world's most successful band. Uncovered the story of the Watchmen, author and GNB contributor Vanessa Azoli on her latest book and how the band found a unique sound. The Starship Enterprise is in dry dock at the Smithsonian. We'll tell you why the NCC 1701 is in for repairs. Plus, the driver's test for Google's autonomous car and why metalheads are envious of a burger from Japan. And now, Alan Cross. Michael Hainsworth. So apparently the kids today don't know the difference between a Bono and a Bono. <laughs> I, I know. So we need to talk about this, this U2 thing. Now, this was a very innovative deal that they'd struck with Apple. Apparently the dollar figure being thrown about is $100 million. And what I heard today was that there have been 2 million downloads of the album. People, 2 million people have taken up iTunes and their free U2 album offer. Uh, and then there are people who look at this as spam, as junk mail, and as uh, Tyler, the creator, is a rather interesting rap artist, um, likened the album in his uh, iTunes as uh, similar to waking up with herpes. <laughs> what? I'm sure the Edge appreciates that. I'm, I'm sure. And uh, today, we're recording this on Monday night. Uh, I, <laughs> today, Apple released, I swear to God, this is true and it's not a joke. Apple released a U2 removal tool. <laughs> so they basically came out with a cream for it. Uh, yeah, basically, a suspicious rash. Um, you click on a, 
on, a, on an image here. Well, let me just read it to you, <laughs> tell you what it says. Uh, if you would like, you t the YouTube songs have been since removed from your iTunes music library and iTunes purchases. You can choose to have it removed. Once the album has removed from your account, it will no longer be available to you to download, to re-download as a previous purchase. If you decide later you want the album, you will need to get it again. The album is free to everyone until October 13th, 2014, and will be available for purchase after that date. Do you want to remove Songs of Innocence from your account? And then there's a, a button you click. $100 million. Yeah, well, that's Guy Siri, who is U2's manager, uh, would not comment on any dollar value, but it had to be pretty big. Where do we get the 100 million figure from? I have no idea. Billboard reported it. A couple of other places reported it. It's uh, people just estimating about, you know, how much is, would this be worth to you too? How much would this be worth to Universal? Because this is denying them, their record company, a certain number of sales. Um, this is going to have to, somebody's going to have to do something for uh, bricks and mortar record stores. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, a lot going on here. And I think it's kind of like when you have a, a sports star sign a big contract and they say, oh, this guy signed for $56 million. Well, there's bonuses here. There's bonuses there. It's worth potentially $100 million. I don't think anybody actually wrote a check for that amount. So I actually finally listened to Songs of Innocence. Mm -hmm. And as I'm listening to it, I'm thinking, you know what? This doesn't have a classic U2 sound to it. And it, and it doesn't even have a an experimental sound like Zuropa or anything like that. And so I'm, as I'm getting towards the end of the album, suddenly something catches my ear. And I'm thinking, all right, this is the classic U2 I'm used to. This is the track that I think is, is the track of the album. And I was about a minute into this track when I realized my iPhone had gotten to the end of the album and started playing The Unforgettable Fire. <laughs> You know what? Any album takes a, a few listens to, to get a hold of. I mean, I don't mind it. It's a stripped down. Is there anything jumping out at you, though? Uh, no. <laughs> Didn't think so. No. It's 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 a pleasant enough album. It's better than No Line on the Horizon. It's a stripped down record in terms of production. That was uh, Danger Mouse. Not Danger Mouse. Um, yeah, Danger Mouse. Uh, Brian Burton that recorded this album. And produced it. So, you know, and there's going to be, again, this was, what we have to understand, is they gave this album away for free. So is this like a B-Sides record based on what they've got coming up? I don't know. We'll you see. know what else is free? Hmm. Herpes. <laughs> well, you get it for free. But it costs you a lot. But you end up paying for it. <laughs> so did you, in fact, order the iPhone 6? I, I did. I, I actually did. And I, I had a terrible time deciding which one. So here's what I did. I went online and I found a template with the 5S, the 6, and the 6 Plus. Then I cut them out and I found a pizza box in the garage. And I cut two layers of cardboard, which I then pasted to each one of these template sheets. And then I messed around with all three of them to see which one is most comfortable in my hand and in my pocket. Brilliant. And I went with the six, the, the plain six, the 4.7 inch. Oh, you and your gorilla hands didn't decide to go with the six plus. Well, I'll tell you why is because when I put the six plus in my pocket, it felt like my my whole thigh was being splinted. And I always carry my phone in my left 
sorry, my right front pocket. And uh, it just would not fit if I had to put, uh, you know, my keys in there or anything else in there. No. So uh, the six it is, the basic six it is. One of the features I'm looking forward to most on the six, hmm? it's more the iOS 8 than it is uh, the iPhone 6. It's the GIF keyboard. Have you seen this? No. What's that? Well, the new operating system, uh, you know, Android people have been laughing at iPhone users for forever now because you can swap out the built-in keyboard on an Android device for something else. And now Apple has opened themselves up to that as well. This is the GIF keyboard for iOS 8 that when you, instead of typing in LOL, it actually puts an animated GIF up instead while you're chatting. Yeah, I saw those. I, Little I, things like that. That's cute. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like emojis and animated GIFs. I just, no. Oh, you're not an emoji type of guy? No, it's just annoying. I'm the kind of guy that spells out words in full. All my texts, and you know this, are in full sentences. That is true, as are mine, and I appreciate that. Yeah, proper grammar, proper spelling. One thing that I don't appreciate is generally you and I, when we're doing the show, you don't turn off your phone. So let's find out if you turned off your phone this time. Uh, I didn't. I turned off the ringer just now. I just sent you a text. I didn't hear the little goofy sound. No, you didn't. Oh, look at that. Fantastic. Did it come through? I, it come says through. delivered. Yeah, no, there it is. You got you sent me a little stupid thumbs up thing. I sent you an emoji. Yeah. Okay, there, I'm turning it off. So, yeah. So, iMessage already supports inline gifts if you copy and paste them. But the co-founder of Workshop X, which is the company behind PopKey, which is a very popular Android keyboard, uh, they've come up with an alternative. Then you can actually favorite some of your gifts that you want to use in, in response. So, I'm I'm looking forward to burning up my data plan by uploading animated <laughs> gifts every time somebody you sends know, me a message. My friend Andrea is going to go batch over this because... Her texts to me are often like Egyptian hieroglyphics. You know, it's all pictographs. Oh, yeah. So it's it's like, okay, oh, I see that Cleopatra has sent me a note. What's she trying to say? Happy face, happy face, sad face. What does that mean? Are you going to get an uh, iPhone 6? So I went to the, the bell.ca website to sign up for the iPhone 6, and it listed my data plan, or it listed no data plan, quite frankly. I couldn't tell... If, in fact, if I signed up on the website, if it was going to give me a whole new package, a, a data plan and all that kind of nonsense, I want to keep what I've got. So I called up Bell, and as I'm on hold waiting to speak to a human being, they say, we're sorry, but we can't take orders over the phone. You have to either go into a Bell store or do it on the website. So now I've got to haul my butt down to Gerard Square and do it that way. Hmm. The same thing happened to me, which pushed me away from Bell. Um, I wanted to pay a bill at a Bell store. This was on a Sunday when the banks hadn't opened yet. And uh, so I went into the Bell store. And uh, you can do it at a Rogers store. You can drop off an invoice or uh, a bill payment there. But uh, no, you had to uh, – you couldn't do it. You had to do it over the phone. And it was just an absolute nightmare. So uh, I left Bell behind. And now I, I – my, my provider was Rogers, but I have a completely – I have a month-to-month plan where uh, I am not locked into any contract, which means I can buy a new phone every year, which uh, which I just did for $1,177. Oh, you went for the 6 with the 128. No, I went for the 6 with the 64. But by the time you add in AppleCare and, and tax, oh. it adds up. Is right. the Apple Care worth it? Because my biggest concern is cracking the screen. Me too. And there's a $75 charge 
to replace the screen, where it's about 100 bucks if you go to one of these little kiosks in a mall. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It's, what was it, $99 for the Apple Care? All right. If you think it's worth it, $99 plus the 75 bucks you're essentially, essentially what I ended up doing is buying one of those stupid extended warranty things. I know, I know, I know. But, uh, okay, so that would have saved me $99. Big deal. Well, you know what I mean. I'm just so, you know, I'm so attached to my phone. If, if anything went wrong with it, I want to be able to take it into an Apple store and just say, here, give me a new one because I'm going crazy. Oh, so they'll swap it right out. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what they've done. I've never had to do it. And I've had iPhones since the 3S. But, uh, you know, I just, I live in fear. And this is probably a real indictment of my character. I live in fear of not having my phone. Yeah, that's a pretty common fear. I, I would have pretty much the same fear. I get a little itchy if I leave my phone at home accidentally. It's like suddenly 1997. Oh, a, a little itchy? I, 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 listen, I need my wallet. I need my keys. I need my phone. Ah, pretty soon you won't need your wallet. Mm, this is true. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, a, I'm really quite a cashless guy. I mean, I'm debit, debit, debit. And then, you know, waving stuff at the, at the, the terminal. So I don't like using cash a lot, which is probably really dumb given, you know, the situations at Target and at uh, Home Depot and everybody else that's had their breaches. But uh, this is just the way I, 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 it's the way I roll. Can't fight the future. No. Let's rewind and go to the past. Vanessa Azzoli is the author of a new book on The Watchmen and, of course, a G&B contributor as well. She's written the new book, Uncovered, the Story of The Watchmen. I think I'm in the book. She interviewed me for it. So let's see if I actually made the final edit. Vanessa, welcome to the program. Hi. So is Alan in the book? Did I make the final edit? You did. You most certainly <laughs> did. Excellent. <laughs> Because then I, okay, I can point to this uh, for my parents to say, this is the kind of things that I do. Because <laughs> when he told them that he worked on the radio, they thought he actually built radios and refurbished them. They, they, they have no clue. Did I ever tell you the story about me in London? I'll just do this really quickly. I was okay. In London. Oh, shut up. I was, uh, I think I was there to interview Robert Smith of The Cure. <gasps> and it was uh, a Saturday night. The interview had already gone off, and I was sitting in a coffee shop on Charing Cross Road, and I realized that, oh, it's the time of week that I usually call my parents. So I called my mom, and she goes, where are you? I said, I'm in London. London where? London, England. What, what, what are you doing there? So I was, I'm here to interview, interview a band. And there's this long pause, transatlantic pause, and then she says, well, why you? <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. Are we brothers or something? It sounds like my mom. Yeah, see? They just have no clue. My my parents live in fear of me saying, Mom, Dad, i got to come back and live in the basement. Yeah. So you wrote the book. You called it Uncovered, the story of the Watchmen. What, what have you uncovered? There's a song called Uncovered. See, I don't know this. <laughs> I'm sorry. See, yeah. I, I was listening to The Cure in the 90s. I wasn't listening to The Watchmen. Okay. Sorry, Van uh, sorry Vanessa. Go ahead. No, no. I guess what we uncovered, and Sammy said it recently in an interview himself, uh, Sammy being the drummer of The Watchmen, um, he, I guess the Watchmen are definitely not the Partridge family. Um, I, I think everyone has always seen through the years that, or thought that they were brothers and that they were inseparable. And, and I mean, there's no mudslinging, there's no, no hard feelings or anything, but I think through the book it's just kind of uncovering their lives and you know they had good 10 solid years on the road together um so that's kind of just what i'm going through in the book see with with canadian bands you don't expect there to be a lot of dirt 
<laughs> you know, we're just we're just nice people in this country, and our bands are, you know, nice boys. Is there dirt? Yeah. Well, not a lot of dirt. No. No, I mean, it's just, it's to be expected, I think, after 10 years. I, I got sick of my own brother after 10 years, I'm sure. <laughs> so it's it's just about the same thing, right? When you spend a lot of time with the same person, it's uh, a, a lot of things start falling out. So it, it's nothing nothing that was crazy. Nothing happened. But, um, but, I mean, there was a falling out in the end, and that's definitely explained in the book. Oh, okay. Now, I'm going to play the part of my mom here for just a second. Okay. And ask, and ask the question, why you? Um... That's hilarious. Um, I, to make a really long story short, I, I just asked. I, uh, <laughs> I've been a fan of the Watchmen since since I was a teenager, I guess, and uh, I, I never got to see them live. Um, and then, and then in 2008, they did the casual reunion thing, and so that was the first time I was able to see them live. And I just, I kind of fell in love with with them all over again. Um, and so I've been blogging a little bit personally over the years, and. Earlier this year, I decided, well, screw it, let's write a book, and that's exactly what happened. So wow. um, I found Sammy Cohn, and I asked him. I just kind of introduced myself, and I asked him if he'd be interested, and it's been a whirlwind ride from there. And the band's been so supportive, and every single person I've spoken to has been so supportive. So it's been it's been a crazy ride. And you're going to get an opportunity to interview them again, or at least watch them live. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Now, you understand, and I speak from experience, that there is no money in writing books about music in Canada. Absolutely. I still have a full-time job. I was definitely not going in for the money. <laughs> uh, so, um, Sammy's a real estate agent now, isn't he? He does that on the side. He also works for a magazine here in Toronto as well. It's, have you noticed that there's a lot of real estate people that listen to this radio show? This podcast? I have noticed that, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Maybe it's because they're always in their cars. Maybe that's what it is. It's just weird. I mean, if we were to do uh, an audience survey, a focus group, we'd all end up with a bunch of real estate people. Okay, let's put it out there. If you are, in fact, a real estate agent, get a hold of us via Twitter, <laughs> Geeks and Beats, uh, or via the Facebook, or just go to the website, send us an email. I, I, want, I want to count. By this time next week, we will know precisely how many people are going to set you up in a nice back split. There you go. Now back to the book. Uh, so the the uh, the End of Trees album has been re-released with uh, an expanded uh, uh, a second disc. Yes, that's actually how this book started. I was the original aim was to write the book all about In the Trees, um, and I think between them trying to do the re-release and me trying to do the book, there was just there was a lot of hype around um, In the Trees, and through a lot of conversations with my publisher, Eternal Cavalier Press. Um, I think the route went to do, well, let's do a full biography. It hasn't been done. Um, there was a little documentary that went out in 2010 about the Watchmen. And so that was it. We just kind of took, went along the path of the documentary and uh, and did the book about the entire biography. There's a good what? chunk of it about In the Trees, like probably a good three, four chapters. Um, but it still it still discusses their entire career. For someone like me who doesn't know a thing about the Watchmen, What's your favorite story from the book? My favorite story is actually, it happened when um, I spoke to Mr. Coulson, who produced In the Trees, and he also produced their next record as well. Um, he told me the little nuances in, in recording the album. And, uh, and I, I think my favorite one 
is uh, recording the song in my mind. And like, we're going to go back to Sammy again. Um, the rest of the guys had left the studio for the afternoon to run some errands. And it was just Sammy and the producer left in the studio. And uh, while they were thinking of like what to do in the bridge of the song, Sammy started like just tapping on, on a fire extinguisher in, in this warehouse room that they were. And Mr. Colson loved the sound of that. So he had Sammy run around the room and tap on the fire extinguisher and he had he found a metal rod and he had him hit the hit the ping pong table that was in there he had him stomp on a piece of wood and he had sammy just going frantic in this room and he recorded every single sound that sammy made and they later took that and they put it together and the entire industrial sounding bridge that's in the middle of in my mind is sammy going crazy in this big warehouse room so I think listening to that and then to that story and then going back and listening to the song again, it just, it brings a whole new light to that story, that song, I guess. Now, I, I, I have a question that has to be asked. Okay. How long, first of all, how long is the book? Uh, I think it's just shy of a hundred pages. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how is it, okay, how is it available? It's going to be available on, uh, for sure, on eternalcavalierpress.com, which is my publisher's website. Um, and it is going to be for sale at the Watchmen shows uh, later on this week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, Thursday and Friday at the Horseshoe and Saturday at Mavericks in Ottawa. And uh, I, I haven't heard the list yet, but they have partnered with some independent record and uh, and bookstores in Toronto and Winnipeg for now. And of course, the most important question is, is how many chapters did you dedicate to Alan? Yes. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> Vanessa, great having you with us. And thanks for being a big contributor on the show as well. Great. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Vanessa Azoli, author of Uncovered, the story of the Watchmen. Have a good night. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati, from the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB News Update. We got a new co-producer. Uh, He's kind of an old co-producer. Is this, uh, is this Garth? Garth Newton's back, baby. Well, thank you, Garth. We really appreciate you opening your wallet wide because God knows we don't do this for the money. Much like Vanessa, <laughs> we uh, our art is... Uh, are you saying there's no money in podcasting? <laughs> Oddly enough. Strangely enough. Although we may have something on that front coming up uh, in the not-too-distant future. Garth opened his wallet wide, paid the 25 bucks. That gets him not only the ability to tell people that he co-produced the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. He gets a high-resolution, suitable for printing and hanging in your parents' basement copy of the album art. And he can put it on his resume. Some have actually put it on their LinkedIn profile. That's fantastic. Now, what I would like to see is a resume with this as work experience or as a reference. Yes. We'll vouch for you. I mean, we'll hey, no, this person, this is a real professional uh, production. And, and we, you know, uh, appreciate anybody who helps us out in, in, in the creative process. So, yeah, put it on your resume. G&B Mug Tour 2014 update. Guess who got uh, himself a G&B Miracle Travel Mug of Traveling? Uh, let me see. You. Me. (laughs) (laughs) You're looking at uh, the uh, G&B Mug Tour 2014 photo that I took outside 299 Queen Street West in downtown Toronto. It's not much of a tour. You took it to work. Okay, I took it away. It it made it to work and back. Actually, it didn't even make it to work. I had it shipped to work. 
I use mine so much that I'm going to have to maybe get a second one. <laughs> what, so you can double fist your morning cup of joe? Well, double fist. No, so I can I can rotate them because I, I, I use them so much. And, you know, sometimes you put one in the, in the dishwasher. And ah. I, I will not drink coffee in my house out of a mug. I have to have my G&B sippy mug. Well, you're not alone. Kevin Button has uh, also received his, and uh, he's uh, at the Binbrook Fair in Hamilton, Ontario. He's got a, a photo there. And Dr. Proximo uh, says that his has arrived as well. We've got a photo of the unboxing. We, we need somebody to do a, an unboxing video like they do when the new iPhones come out and people video themselves and put it on YouTube. It does come um, well packaged. It comes actually really well packaged. <laughs> I'm, I tell you, I, this is the best. I mean, I am as a commuter, a longtime commuter and a longtime coffee drinker. And I'm not saying this just to move more mugs. These are the best travel mugs ever designed. Yeah, you're not doing it to move more mugs because we get like five bucks out of the 30 some odd dollars it costs. I love mine. I really do. We get about 10 to 15 bucks out of the Geeks and Beats performance jacket, the fall jacket of running or not running. Yeah, I finally found mine. I was going to take some pictures. Yeah, you need to you need to give us some selfies so we can show it off on the website. So you know what I did? Waiting for your lazy ass to go dig it up. I went out and I got one myself. You didn't have one? On your recommendation. No, they're not cheap. They're 75 bucks. Oh, I know. Well... You know, thank you for getting one for me. Um, my wife put it in one of the closets that I never go into, so um, it took a little mm. while for me to find it. And you were right. It is fantastic. It may not be worth the 95 bucks that I originally thought we should price it at. You're right. $75 feels just about right. It's fantastic. It's, uh, I'm not, I don't know if it's waterproof, but it's water resistant. All the water beaded up on it. And it's very warm. It's, it's a great fall and early winter jacket. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I use it occasionally to walk the dog on a, on a cool night mm -hmm. it's, it's, or a cool morning. It's really good. I haven't used it to actually go running because I haven't been running lately. i got a bad toe. But, uh, and and I, it's been summer, so why would you wear a running jacket in the summer? But uh, the time is coming, and uh, I'll be using it. I only run for my life. Yeah. Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Geeks and Beats update on the USS Enterprise. Huh? Yeah, boldly going back to the workshop. What are you talking about? The Air and Space uh, Museum at the Smithsonian has the original model. Oh, Oh, the original NCC 1701 has been hanging at the uh, Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum for, what, 49 years or so. And it's been hanging for so long that they actually have pulled the thing down so that they can refurbish it. They got this from, from Desilu Studios, from, from Gene Roddenberry's people? Yep. Wow. It's the original. It, when it first arrived, it was damaged and in pieces. The Enterprise spent most of the years between 1976 and 1999 suspended from the ceiling at the museum. It's got this uh, new paint job that they're putting on it right now, which to me sort of sounds sacrilegious. Wouldn't you want to keep the original paint job on it? No, just to read, read through the story here. The, the model was a TV prop built as cheaply as possible almost 50 years ago. It was never intended to be hung anywhere. Yeah. And a series of x-rays taken in 1999 revealed stress fractures in the wood. They've restored it three times already.
okay, well, I think this is a this is an interesting piece of history. And, and would you find yourself in Washington D.C. maybe at the National Air and Space Museum? Would you go see this? It was hanging in the gift shop. I I definitely would. I, I see. I'm an I'm an uh, an aeronautical freak and uh, a space geek. So I would really I really need to go to Washington and visit some of these museums. The new home is going to be in the Boeing Milestones of Flight Hall, which is a little odd unto itself. And uh, they uh, will reopen it uh, for their uh, 40th anniversary celebrations of the actual museum in 2016. Why is this restoration going to take 18 months? I have no idea. Maybe because they don't have the replicators that they need? I don't know. Maybe it's just getting harder to find dilithium crystals. (laughs) Or maybe they're out of photon torpedoes. Uh, from one future to the other, we've got the new Google self-driving car, which has been making a lot of news lately. But what didn't make news about two years ago is that it had its first driver's test. And uh, at uh, the uh, IEEE org, which is the, the overseeing group for industry standards on a whole bunch of different things, they have finally taken a look at the self-driving car test that took place by the Nevada Department of Motor Vehicles back in 2012. We now have the documentation that reveals that, in fact, in Las Vegas, when they got behind the wheel and let the car do its own thing, they had to take the wheel a couple of times. I don't like the idea of autonomous cars. I just don't. Because I'm a driver. I like to be in control of, of my vehicle. Secondly, I don't want a machine... I don't I just don't feel, you know, I don't feel safe. Now, I know this is probably like somebody talking about a um a Model T in 1916 over a horse and buggy. And I know that's how I sound, but it it's it just I don't like it. The Google car was a Prius, and uh, in smooth everyday traffic, the Prius was just fine. It stopped for pedestrians as expected, merged in onto the freeway all the way up to the local speed limit. It approached cos- crosswalks, and the uh, driving tester had to determine that it was seemed a little too cautious when it would pull up to a, a, an intersection with a red light. The Nevada DMZ. Uh, DMV, excuse me, designed the test to assess the self-driving car's performance in these common situations. And while the driver did have to take the wheel in a few circumstances, they didn't go into a lot of detail as to what those circumstances were. I see the thing went around a roundabout okay. Apparently, they are, quote, particularly challenging. However, many drivers don't know the proper rules in the first place. But the car does. So uh, they tried to figure out what would happen if it confronted something unexpected. It was a 22-kilometer-long test drive. A bike at one point weaved in front of the car, and the car backed off, uh, letting the the cyclist uh, move in safely. It correctly anticipated a pedestrian that ran across the street. It had a problem, and this is two years ago, so hopefully they've fixed this since. They had a problem with construction work because the road was partially blocked off, and the car had to switch between an autonomous and a manual mode. And what, how it does that is it actually breaks to a halt if it's in a low-speed scenario. Can it turn right on red? Just not in Quebec. Okay. Ah, oh. ah, ah, driver's joke? Yeah, fine. Ugh. When you think fashion, you think geeks and beats. Fresh from the runways of Milan and Paris, it's the G&B Fall Jacket. Great for early morning runs or standing in line at Starbucks on your phone. 
Show your support for the big show with the only fall jacket you'll ever need. Go to geeksandbeats.com slash swag today. You found the most metal burger ever. I love this. It's the Kuro Burger. It's a limited time offering at Burger King in Japan, in Japan only. It looks like it's not a limited time offer. It looks like it's been around for about 60 years. It, it does. Okay, so it's got a black bun, which is made from uh, charcoal bamboo. It has black cheese, which is made from squid ink. There's a special sauce on it, which is also colored with squid ink. And the patty itself involves a lot of black pepper. So basically, the only color from this thing is the patty, which is that uh, sort of, you know, brownie meat cover, color. Uh, and there is, there's another version called the Kuro Diamond, which is basically the same thing, except that it has lettuce, tomatoes, and onions on it. So there's a little bit of color there. But this is the most metal, the most goth burger ever made anywhere in the world. I have no idea what it tastes like, but it would be pretty freaky. Uh, buddy into something with black cheese. In garlic sauce made with squid ink. Yes. I uh, Listen, I haven't been to a Burger King in a gazillion years. I would go to a Burger King to have one of these. In other places around the world, like, for example, in France, they don't call it the quarter pounder at McDonald's. Here we go. <laughs> Grand Royale with cheese. I know. If anybody remembers any line from Pulp Fiction next to Get the Geek or Get the Gimp... It's a Royale with cheese. What do they call the Whopper? Um, I don't know. The proper answer is, I don't know. I didn't go into no Burger King. <laughs> okay. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.